Hey there, Omaha. Welcome into another episode of Restaurant Hoppin'. Very excited to bring you today's guest, and that's not just because he has an awesome first name. Uh, we've got Dan Watts here. He is currently the culinary consultant, or a culinary consultant at Cisco, but that title really only scratches the surface, I feel like, of the importance that that he has to this community. He's worked all over Omaha. We're talking V-Mertz, Dante, been the chef de cuisine at Le Bouillon and Spencer's for Steaks and Chops. He's been on the Food Network. He's been described by Block 16 as a barbecue master, which I'm not sure if there's higher praise than you can earn. Dan sure. Watts, welcome to the show. Thanks for having me on. I appreciate it. And I want it to be noted, before we even launch into the questions and everything, you have brought in four <laughs> bottles of whiskey for us to sample as, as we move through this episode. So before sure. you, before you even say a single word on the episode, you are already like a top five guest, <laughs> which is fantastic, and I'm very grateful. Um, so I guess we're, we're going to spend a lot of time looking at your background, who you learned from, where you came from, but I kind of want to serve as an introduction to your career. I want to start in the present, and you are like I mentioned, a culinary consultant at Cisco. What does that mean? What is your role? Yeah, I mean, uh, you know, it means a lot of things. Um, Cisco, where we're at, Cisco Lincoln and kind of Kansas City, this whole area represents this sort of upper Midwest region. And so there's a lot of customers, a lot of different types of customers, whether that be schools, hospitals, restaurants, private, public owned, you know, all sorts of things. And so... Um, a lot of people ask me what I do and I just say, you know, Hey, whatever, whatever the customer needs, you know, if, if I can do it, then we do it. If we can't, then it's our job to go and learn how to do it and make it happen. And so, you know, if that means, uh, a customer comes to us with, with a plot of land, dirt, dirt, you know, um, our company can kind of make it happen for them. Um, architects and engineers sort of building stuff out, drawing plans, uh, supplies and equipment folks, getting uh, getting the four walls up, getting all of that going, and then we come in and sort of help with the restaurant design, the menu, uh, the identity of the whole thing, and whatever that may be, if that means writing the menu and selecting items for them to use based on their business plan and their talent, their labor, that's what we do. Um, if they already have a chef, if they already have a menu, then I support with that, item selection or training, really anything. So, uh, yeah, it's pretty cool. Uh, I... I think that that fits in very well with, I think, your skill set, because as we're going to go into, you have a very varied background. You've done a lot of different things. You've worked in a lot of different restaurants. How how has your experience kind of played into that, and how fun is that? Because it sounds like you're doing something different all the time. It's we not are. the same thing over and over again. Like that, that That's just a fun way to work, I assume. It is. It is. It's, it's pretty challenging, um, but it's it's personally and professionally enriching. So the more kitchens that I see, the more people that I meet, you know, the better that I get, the more menus I see and design and um, all of those things make me more valuable, uh, you know, to our company, to our customers. And so just like you said, the experience comes a lot into play. When I first started cooking around restaurants, that was kind of my goal, work at a place for a year or two years and then go around and just meet people, get experience, see how they ran their restaurants so that I could go and do my own thing one day or run projects for people or just like I'm doing now, be, become a consultant. So uh, all very valuable stuff. That's such an interesting view because I feel like there are a lot of chefs or cooks who will kind of look at, you know, they'll go to one restaurant and they'll say, okay, I want to stick here. I, I like this place or I really like this style of cuisine. If I do move restaurants, I'm going to stick in this style. Whereas you really kind of took a well-rounded approach and you said, I don't want to just stick myself in one place. I want to try different things. What made you take that approach to it? Because obviously it's paid off for you. Uh, well, you know, a lot of the, a lot of the guys that I worked for when I was, when I was younger and that's, you know, I worked for uh, Clayton Chapman and Nick Strocker, you know, guys like that, they understand what it takes to be somebody in the business, mm -hmm. what you have to do. Um, to kind of uh, legitimize your opinion in the community. And so, you know, when I worked for those guys, they'd say, hey, you know, dude, go and do something else. Go see something else. Uh, work for someone else, different cities, different states, whatever that may be, different type of food. So all the people that I worked for really encouraged me to go do that. And so um, just like you said, some folks like to stick around and, and build some tenure up, but um, 
I was so young that I just didn't know. I didn't know anything. I didn't have enough experience to, uh, to be really valuable with, with anyone yet. And so I knew that if I wanted to be, I needed to go and, and get that. And then, you know, two or three of the restaurants that I worked at when I was younger, I came back and worked at again. You know, I was like, hey, I have the experience now to be more valuable here. Let's see if I can go see if I can go do something cool. Let's go back to the very beginning. What got you into cooking originally? <laughs> so uh, it's, it's interesting. So when I was in high school, I played football. And uh, out of high school, I got a scholarship to play football and uh, study accounting. I mean, it was my major was accounting. And so I went to a school in Minnesota. Um, and I was there for about a year. And uh, my right shoulder messed up. I've, you know, dislocated my left kneecap more, more times than I can count. So it just started to get real beat up, not enough, not enough time on the field. And I just wasn't able to commit myself fully. And, um, you know, you don't go up there to, to work in the locker room or to, to do things like that. You go up there to play. And so I knew that, um, that was just done for me. It was time to move on. And so I came home and, uh, full disclosure was a total degenerate for five months, did nothing. I lived in my parents' basement, (laughs) Um, which I'm super gracious for, you know, they've, they've always had me, but, uh, you know, after a while, you know, my old man just kind of came and said, Hey, you got to do something. (laughs) And, uh, in high school I had worked in restaurants, washing dishes, things like that. And so, um, yeah, I applied at the restaurant that was closest to my house that I felt was gainful employment. And that was Spencer's. I lived in council bluffs, the West End council bluffs. And so, um, I went there and applied and, uh, I sat down in an interview with Clayton and, uh, flat out told him that I didn't know anything, you know, and that, but I was committed and I wanted to be there every day and I wanted to learn. And, uh, I just got super lucky and, and he had me, had me come onto the team, you know, which was super talented, uh, group of guys. I mean, I, everybody that worked there was supportive and knew their, their stuff, you know? And so that was a great just a, a super lucky thing for me to get into. And uh, that just kind of started everything off for me. That's something that I love about the restaurant industry and I think is very unique when it comes to really any other job. And this is something that Glenn Wheeler, who is currently the chef at Spencer's right now, mm-hmm. talked about a couple weeks ago on a podcast we did on mentoring, is that he would rather have somebody come in totally green and just say, I don't know anything, but I'm going to work my butt off and I'm going to sure. learn. I'm going to be here every day. I will get better than have somebody come in with 10 years of experience. Who's like, Oh yeah, I know how to do this. I have all these techniques sure. and everything. So do you almost think that that played to your advantage just coming in totally green, yeah. but having that attitude of tell, just tell me what to do. I don't care what it is. I will do it to the best of my ability. Yeah, absolutely. I think, I don't know. It's a, there's a book that Steve Martin wrote. I forget the title now, but there's a quote in there about naivety being naive, you know? Um, and he essentially says, you know, uh, I had no, so little idea of what I was getting myself into, but I was excited. I was, you know, ready to do it that, you know, I just jumped right in. And, uh, I think that has a lot to do with it. You, you have to have an open mind. Um, you know, even if you've seen something done a different way, two or three different times, uh, you have to, you have to learn other ways, ways that certain guys do it and, um, be willing to adapt, be willing to, to learn other ways. You know, there's, there's not one way to do everything and yeah, you got to have an open mind. You have to go into it, um, and also collaborate and communicate with your team too. It's, there's so many different dynamics to working in a kitchen that it's just crazy sometimes to think about, you know? So you come into Spencer's as a total rookie. You admit that you don't know anything about what you're doing. What job did you start <laughs> in? Uh, I think I was, like, making salads, uh, the salad area down there. And John Seymour was the sous chef um, who later went on to get nominated for a Beard Award at V-Merds. Yeah, but, that's a heck of a team there. Um, you know, John was hard on me, uh, but I needed that. You know, there was, there was times where uh, – you know, being young and open-minded, there's sometimes that you still do think that you're right about, about stuff, you know, and John was certainly there to make sure that I knew that that wasn't correct. <laughs> but that's good because um, it's good to be confident. Uh, it's good to know what you're doing, but you can't be so cocky that you're not, you're not open to guidance and teaching. Mm-hmm. So how did you, like, how did the ascension move up there because i'm assuming you didn't just stay at the salad station no no not at all and you you, uh 
you want to get out of there. Yeah. <laughs> you, you don't want to stick around there for a while. You want to go to different stuff. And so there's kind of like three stations in that kitchen, you know, salads and saute station, uh, and then, you know, the grill, the broiler. And so um, after a while, I just hopped up there and, um, again, got lucky. The dude kind of I was bumping elbows with every day was, was Jake Newton, super good friend of mine. And so, um, yeah, like those guys taught me how to use the knife. They taught me how to cook um, everything. I didn't know how to do anything. And so, um, you know, there would be times where I'd be working saute and I'd be getting super busy and Jake would be grilling steaks and there wouldn't be anything going on and be like, Hey man, we got to switch. You got to take this stuff over for me. And I would hop over and, um, they were always willing to do it and, and help out. So that's kind of how that happened. You you dip your toes in the water and get a little taste of it, you know, kind of, uh, throw yourself to the wolves or get thrown to the wolves a little bit. It's the best way to learn sometimes. And, uh, that's just what we did. So like you mentioned, you, you found it important to not just stay in the same place, but to move around and to, and to go to different restaurants. At what point, I mean, obviously Spencer's is a fantastic restaurant. It sounds, sure. You were working with incredibly talented individuals. Uh-huh. At what point did you look at it and say, or maybe someone else came to you and said, <laughs> you need to try something different? Or did you say, I need to try something different? Like, how, how do you take yourself out of a great situation like that? Long story short, I think it was a mutual agreement that I go and learn from someone else, work for a year, and then gain experience through seasons, spring, summer, fall, winter, and then go to another restaurant and then see how they process that stuff. And um, yeah, I think after a year at uh, at a steakhouse of, of me working at that level, you kind of pick up what you need to get and then time to move on and, and see what, what else is there, you know. So where'd you go next? After that, I went to Dante, Nick Straucher. Mm-hmm. And so I think that was three months after they, after they opened. Um, and I remember it was a crazy experience because, uh, you know, when I was at Spencer's, they, you know, the guys were, it was, it was a stage kind of culture, right? If you want a job, you go and stage somewhere for two, three days or something and see if the chef likes you or if you like the food or if it's the right fit. So you work for free, essentially like an unpaid internship. Yeah. Very very short. Yeah. And it's a tryout for everyone. I mean, if looking at it from the employee standpoint, you, you want to do that, you know, and, and kitchens are certain places where if it's not a right fit, you don't want to sign the papers to get in there and, and do stuff without knowing it. So it's good for everybody, but, um, it was a really cool experience. And I don't know if, you know, Nick remembers this or not, but I remember I went in, um, and I worked, uh, just kind of doing general things and I just tried to focus and do good knife skills or whatever. But then I remember when I was done, Nick, uh, he said, you know, have you ever had clams before? You ever had any of this stuff we're making? I was like, no, you know, I, I haven't. And so, um, kind of after my shift, he cooked like a four or five course meal for me. Oh, wow. I stood back in the kitchen, we ate it, we talked about it and I was like, dude, this is the place for me, you know? So, um, he brought me on there and, uh, I was a saute guy there for, I think two years I worked there. And, uh, at Dante, they really cook from scratch everything. Um, not to say that at Spencer's they don't, it's just a different type of, uh, cuisine. It's a different menu, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, making pasta for the first time by hand at Dante, making, making everything. And that was really where I, I just got hooked on it. And, you know, if you've ever worked for Nick, that's, I guarantee what everyone will say is that he's very motivational. He's very inspiring. And then, you know, when I was a young guy, he knew why I was there. I was there to get the type of experience or try to get the type of experience that he got in some of the larger cities that he was in that I couldn't honestly afford to go and get yet. And, uh, so yeah, he, he busted my ass a little bit and, uh, but it made me better, made me way better. Um, cooking, running your own area of the kitchen, making decisions about, uh, product. And you, you start to get more and more into the, the dollars and sense of the situation, you know, and, um, kind of the more important you are in a kitchen, the more, the more value you touch and alter, you know? And so, uh, Nick let me do all that stuff. He taught me how to cut fish, um, pretty much everything. So, so just listening to hear you listening to hearing you talk about the experience at Dante, it sounds like most people would be like, I love this place. I don't want to go anywhere. Sure. So like, how do you find, and I know we've kind of touched on this a couple times already, but I think it's just so interesting. Like, how do you find that balance between saying, I love this place. I'm learning so much here. I have a great chef that I'm learning under, 
but I don't want to pigeonhole myself. I think there's more sure. that I can learn and I can go somewhere else. How do you find that balance? Like when, when do you know when to take the next opportunity? You know, for me, uh, I never really sat down one day and said, you know, I'm leaving this place in two weeks. There was always another opportunity that kind of came up that wasn't a lateral move. And that's a piece of advice that I'll give to anybody, not just kitchens. If you're going to leave a place, you know, don't, don't leave for the same amount of money. Don't leave for the same job. Leave and get more responsibility, even if you're not ready yet. You know, challenge yourself, go work hard and make it happen. And so I think in this specific instance, uh, Seymour was in Denmark or somewhere doing something. And he came back and uh, got the job at Mertz, V Mertz, right around New Year's. And uh, um, I was ready to get into that type of food, you know, that type of kitchen. And I just had conversation with John, and we made it happen, you know. Yeah. I mean, you just, you kind of look at your culinary path, and you see, obviously, Spencer's. That's a steakhouse. You're working with a lot of steaks and seafoods. Dante is Italian. A lot of, you know, rustic cooking, pastas, Neapolitan pizzas, Le Bouillon, French cuisine, V. Mertz, New American, tasting menus. I mean, you really kind of hit, like, so many different, different spectrums was that intentional or like you said was it just kind of the opportunities that arose things kept taking you in different directions I'd say in the beginning it was not intentional but after a while it started to kind of build my resume up I I started to notice that I was getting a varied amount of experience and then um yeah I was about 25 26 years old and I started to look at that and say okay like, let's look at the next 15 years of your career and, and where do you want to be and what, what's going on here? Start making some serious decisions. And so um, that's when I started to aim for positions that would be logical steps up in the culinary community uh, around here that, that would look like I was a career-minded individual, right? Hey, he was a line cook here, then he was a sous chef, then he was this here, c- continually climbing. And so I wanted to make sure that, that people knew when I was involved with their project or whatever, that there was, there was goal growth in mind for me as an employee, whether that meant I get better or it be a promotion or, or, you know, more compensation or whatever. It just, people knew that my skin was in the game and and I was in it. They could look at your resume and see the arrow is clearly pointing up. Exactly. Okay. So what brought you back to Spencer's? Um, I think, well, I was, yeah, I was the chef de cuisine at Label Yan, mm-hmm. and I had been there, I think, a little bit over a year. Um, and then my wife and I got pregnant with our, our twin boys, Jake and Charlie. And uh, I knew I needed to make uh, a move somewhere, a little bit more cash in my pocket, but then also something with benefits, stuff like that. It's not to say that uh, that opportunity wouldn't have been at Label Yan. It's just something that um, I was ready to kind of make a move to a restaurant with um that was kind of only open for nighttime hours things like that uh and so yeah went and talked to glenn and just kind of told him the situation i was in and i was ready to to really get it going and um he brought me on and that's what we did now i know that you have become such a huge barbecue guy you love barbecue and we're going to talk a lot more about that in this episode but i found in my research a video where you talked about how your second stint at Spencer's really kind of fueled that love for barbecue because you got a chance to source different meats and really experiment with a lot of type of stuff. How important for your career do you think that was that Glenn kind of took you in and really empowered you and said, hey, you're not just a line cook. You're not just going to execute my dishes, but I'm going to let you play around with this quality product that I can bring in. Yeah, I mean, it's huge. I I think anyone that has, you know, built themselves up to be in a, in a certain position. Um, you know, the statement isn't building themselves up. Other people help along the way. You got to have support, things like that. And Glenn's just one of those guys where if you show passion in something, then he'll support you. You know, um, people aren't gonna, people aren't gonna carry you along. You know, if you want to do something and you have passion behind it, an idea, and there's an angle to it, you want to build it into something, guys like Glenn make that happen for you, you know? Um, and so, you know, I, I was working there and I, uh, you know, I found a Craigslist ad for like a dude smoker on the side of the road for 20 bucks. I think he used it three times and it blew over in the wind or something. 
And so I went and picked it up, um, gave him the 20 bucks and then, you know, kind of Glenn knew that I had it. And, uh, you know, anytime I needed something, he would let, you know, he would let me buy a one-off piece out of a case or something, or let me order something through the restaurant account so I could, so I could test it out or mess with it and then bring it back and serve it for family meal or whatever, and kind of get this solicited feedback by, by just kind of doing something fun. So yeah, that was, that was huge. Um, it was tough then though, you know, to, to be able to do that stuff was working full time and then having kids. And then yeah. there'd be sometimes I'd get off at 11 o'clock at night and go fire the smoker up and put meat on and cook it throughout the evening till seven, eight in the morning, take it off, rest it, do whatever, catch a little sleep, head back to work and serve it. But, uh, I wasn't necessarily worried about the being, being tired thing or the lack of sleep. I just wanted to cook the meat and see what people thought of it, you know, put input my data to what I was doing. And then see, you know, what the results were. And then what, what can I change? What can I do? And that was just sort of how that all happened. See, this is so interesting to me because we've talked about all the different types of cuisines that you worked in. And yet barbecue is the one For that sure. just like the Death Star tractor beam, it just grabbed yeah, you and pulled you in <laughs> and you couldn't resist it. What is it about barbecue that just has that effect on you? Uh, well, live fire cooking. And so... Uh, you know, anyone listening here that's ever worked in an establishment that does live fire cooking, you know that that is the superior way to cook food. Um, it's just it's just the best. And so, you know, one thing that was really inspirational for me was, you know, that first Aaron Franklin book. I think it's called The Manifesto of Smoked Meats, um, I believe. And so read through that. And the, the cool thing that Aaron Franklin does is, you know, you can go out and talk to your Uncle Bill who's cooking a brisket and say, hey, you know, when's that going to be done? And, you know, he'll he'll kick his boot and it's done when it's done, you know. And it's like, hey, there's a little bit more science to that or there has to be. There has to be a better answer than that. And Aaron Franken really opened that up and started giving that information without anyone having to ask him or pry for it. And so when you look at something as primal as wood fire cooking, live fire cooking, but then you can get as scientific and detailed with it as volatile flavor compounds and crazy aldehydes and, and creosote compounds that affect flavor. Uh, it's just, it's just really interesting. You know, you, you have something so deeply rooted in science, but so also so deeply rooted in the history of, of how people eat that, uh, it's really kind of a, of a emerging, uh, it's obviously very popular, but it, I, I would say that there's new people coming into the game that are kind of shirking that, that old school mentality and moving forward with more of that scientific approach to it that, that really makes it fun. Now, barbecue is very difficult to nail down. Um, and, you, and you mentioned like starting, uh, starting a cook at 11 o'clock at night and having <laughs> it go for you know seven, eight hours, putting in those long hours. Like a lot of people don't want to, to put in that effort or, you know, go to that extent to make it happen, but you did. At what point when you're, you know, testing this out for yourself, when you're serving it at family meal, stuff like that, at what point did you like, did, did you start to kind of get the positive type of feedback or even have that personal satisfaction where you're like, man, I'm doing something right here. I know what I'm doing. Well, the first couple of times I did anything, uh, I was too concerned with, all of the variables that you can control. I tried to control all of them. I tried to do everything. After a while, you just need to kind of throw the meat on there and smoke it, throw it on there and cook it, you know? And so I started out really hard in the paint, doing a lot of different things. And I just kind of realized I was doing too much. And so I dialed all of that way back. Let's start with a baseline salt and pepper. Let's start with baseline oak. I have to train my own palate to figure out what, what, quote unquote good is in, in that regard before I can start doing anything else and then presenting it to anyone. And so that was kind of the data that, that was yielded from the first couple of cooks. Um, and then just sort of went back to basics, uh, started doing things more simply, started worrying about temperatures of the meat and feel and considering, you know, the age times and things like that, uh, which in my mind are, are much more important than, you know, temperature of the cook and, and, uh, type of wood that, that you're messing with. But uh, yeah, after a while, you just start to get the hang of it and you start to feel what's right. And then it's intuition. It's gut instinct. You know, as soon as I would do something that I personally liked and then I would go feed other people it, you know, and it was like, boom, that, that light went off. 
on on people's heads like oh wow this is barbecue you know this is this is a you know a, a quote unquote Texas style smoked brisket or whatever which you know is just oak and salt and pepper honestly and so um, once I started getting to hang the hang of that uh, you know started building the idea a little bit and wanted to do more wanted to get out in the community and and um, do some events some pop ups uh, things like that. And uh, luckily executed those really well, cooked the food good, um, the barbecue tasted tasted great, things like that. And just sort of the idea started started building this steam. And I've got, you know, people asking me, when are you opening this? And when are you doing this? And it's like, man, I don't even know if I'm cooking this stuff right yet, you know? Uh-huh. <laughs> uh, but that was an exciting, you know, time to be doing that stuff. You know, I was young and uh, not that I'm not now, but I, I was younger and I, I just you know, had passion behind an idea and I had a lot of people supporting me and the community was great for that. Now, eventually in 2017, you did end up making the move to, to open a a barbecue establishment and that took you to Phoenix, Arizona, uh, where you, you helped open the Liberty street American tavern and smokehouse, which was eventually, like I mentioned earlier, featured on the food network. How tough was that decision for you to make? I mean, we're talking you're a family man. You've been in Omaha, you know, working at Omaha restaurants pretty much your whole career. How tough was that to make the move outside and and go open something new? Yeah. Well, I remember right around that time, you know, when I was doing stuff like that, you know, I was texting friends of mine and we would have conversations and I'd just say, you know, I'm ready to do something big. I don't know what it is and I don't really know if it, needs to be with my money (laughs) or, you know, whatever my sourced investment. And so, uh, you know, two phenomenal people in this world, Matt, Matt Keeler and Paul Keeler, they're the owners of Keeler hospitality group, um, who also own Spencer's. They would come up once a month, kind of do their check-ins on the restaurant, meet with us. And, um, you know, I would have, you know, some barbecue ready. I'd have, I'd have stuff, you know, there and, not with the implicit intention of like, Hey, I'm showing these guys this cause I'm moving to Scottsdale and yeah, open a barbecue I'm, I'm restaurant. selling you on a concept. Yeah. yeah. It was more of just like, Hey, you know, look at how versatile we can be and, and look at some of the fun things we we're doing. And so, you know, eventually those guys came to me and kind of laid a blueprint down and said, Hey, uh, and I think this was in November or something, you know, and they said, Hey, you know, we, uh, we signed the lease on this place and, uh, it's kind of turnkey might take us a month or two to get it going, but you know, would you consider it? And, uh, I've thought about decisions more in my life than that one, but I was super excited. Um, I went home and I talked to my wife and I just said, Hey, you know what? For me, in my mind, I needed to do something big. I needed to step out of my comfort zone, completely out of it and prove to people that, that I, that I was for real about this, you know, that, that I wasn't just working around in restaurants cooking. I had intentions of, I have intentions of becoming a, the ultimate professional in this business. And so, um, that opportunity came up and, uh, I said, yeah, sure. I think I, we went down there two, three weeks later. I was there for a few days. Um, I had never been down there, looked at the city, drove around. We looked at the properties, um, kind of looked at some areas around town where I could live. And, uh, again, got incredible support from the employees down there. They helped me find, you know, a vehicle, a house, all this stuff. Um, and then, yeah, I think January 3rd, like two days after new year's, I was on a plane down there and all of my stuff was in a pod on the back of a semi truck. And so I had been to Phoenix once and, uh, yeah, I got there and just started life there. You know, you get there and, you have to have purpose and work. Luckily they had another restaurant there. And so I went and did worked there and kind of uh, picked up on their systems that they have down there. Um, and that was it, man. But yeah, it was super weird. And, uh, I don't know if, I, I don't think I ever once like regretted it when I was there. Like, Oh man, I just can't believe I'm down here. Um, I just had like a huge purpose to be there and we had a lot of work to do. Um, I think once construction was done or quote unquote done, we had access to the building. I think we had 13 days to open the restaurant, hire a staff of kitchen guys and get everything going. But, um, that's a testament to, to the people around me that, that helped me do it. And then, yeah, like you said, a few short months later, the restaurant was hugely popular, uh, you know, doing numbers that we didn't even think were, were feasible within the first, you know, a hundred days of a business being open. Um, 
yeah, and then, you know, the Food Network thing happened, and it just kind of was this, it never stopped snowballing. Uh, you know, the restaurant got popular, and we did, you know, daytime TV shows, and in Phoenix, man, you know, like 300,000 people watch those, you know, I mean, it's 500,000 people, it's a lot of folks, so, um, yeah, it just kind of exploded, and I will say there were periods of what I was doing down there that I, d- I did ask myself, like, Jesus, dude, like, how are we here right now? <laughs> because it was just so crazy. You know, I went from just kind of cooking and, and just trying to learn how to use a knife like a few short years before that to to running businesses and hiring people and, and writing menus and costing things and doing everything that I, in my mind I had set a goal t- out to do. Um, and so, yeah, it was just kind of all of the work and relationships and learning and everything kind of came to fruition in that, in that moment and everything just worked. (laughs) Now you mentioned you guys far exceeded even your expectations and in terms of both sales and just attention, um, accolades, stuff like that. What do you think led to that explosion? (laughs) I don't know. We were in a really interesting part of town. We were in far North Scottsdale. If you've ever been there, we were a couple miles South of, um, carefree and cave Creek. Um, right by the boulders resort. If, if anyone's familiar down there, a couple of nice golf courses, but, um, there was a few restaurants there before that kind of had a good community following that location. And, you know, those type of communities, they're pretty close knit. You know, it's a lot of retirees, a lot of things like that. And they're there seasonally. And, uh, you know, they want stuff to do. They want businesses to be open. They like restaurants, they like doing things. And so, um, you know, we put the sign up on the restaurant and, uh, people started driving up I mean, every day we were there, people would drive up and say, when are you opening? When are you opening? And then, you know, like we got the smoker in and I just lit a fire in the smoker just to do it. Just so people on the golf course could smell it like, yo, dude, I'm coming, you know? So, um, I don't know. I just think that (laughs) it was a cool new business that people put good money into. They managed it well. It was a professional venture and it showed to the people of, of that community that, you know, we weren't part-timers. We were there to make a serious impact. And then we got a great, great community following. Um, you know, the Chamber of Commerce was all behind us and, you know, this huge ribbon-cutting deal. And people were just really excited to have us down there. And um, also the owners owned another restaurant in the D.C. ranch area of Scottsdale that, that was very popular for a long time, too. So I think a lot of those folks, uh, you know, didn't, didn't mind driving up Scottsdale Road to our place and seeing what we were about, too. Now... What was the learning curve like for you personally? Because you mentioned, you know, you obviously learned a lot from a variety of kitchens, but this is your first time when you were really running things, when you're creating the menu, you're helping to design the restaurant, you're hiring staff, you're doing all this stuff. How difficult was that or how fun was that? Just like what was that experience like, I guess? Well, the scariest thing is is hiring people because like I had never been there. So I didn't know where the pipelines were. I didn't even know where I could go and steal cooks, (laughs) you know, where I could go and have a bunch of beers or something and, and convince a guy to, to jump ship or something. So I knew that if I found a good right hand man, that we could get the menu going, right. We could do whatever the, the bulk of the prep and just get a staff in there to do something. Well, uh, you know, you can't just kind of post public ads in Scottsdale and expect a bunch of people to come running for like $15 an hour jobs, driving like Maseratis and whatnot. So I went on Indeed and got an Indeed profile. And this is, this is no exaggeration. I reached out to over 180 people and I got less than 10 in-person interviews to hire an initial staff of six people. Oh, wow. Six people total. We were open for uh, lunch and dinner seven days a week. Uh, but I got lucky because the dude that I hired as my sous chef um, <laughs> was like an ex-military guy. His name was Giovanni Young. So he was very task-oriented, uh, ex-Air Force guy. And uh, he was formally culinarily educated and had worked at a lot of great um, places around Phoenix. Sam Fox Restaurant Group down there um, is kind of a huge deal. Sam Fox, multi-time, multi-time beard winner, but he had worked at a lot of his locations and we were going to be doing some similar things on our menu. I knew I had the barbecue smoked meat thing on lock and I just needed some support while I was out there, you know, starting fires and burning stuff. So that was a huge help. And of course you're going to have a lot of turnover when everything begins. Um, and kind of got rid of some folks, brought some more people on, 
But uh, by a few months in, we were sharing some employees with the other location. Um, some hardworking dudes, man, from, dude, I'm telling you, I've never seen people do what they do. I'm, I'm talking about working from 5 a.m. to 2 p.m. and coming in and working from 2 p.m. till close here. Goodness. It's 130 degrees outside, you know. It's, it's no cooler in the kitchens there. Um, but, yeah, dudes from uh, Guatemala, Mexico, El Salvador, just everywhere. Super, super awesome dudes. And so that was the majority of my staff. Um, we communicated well. Phenomenal cooks too. Um, great dudes. So that, that really helped, uh, that helped me to be able to focus on more of, you know, you got to cook 500 pounds of meat a day (laughs) and it's got to be cooked properly. So that helped. I had great support. So everything you've told me about this experience sounds just awesome. Like the people that you support that supported you were great. The employees were great. You're getting yep. to smoke meats. Like, you're getting all kinds of attention. Getting everything. to do everything that I had wanted to do. Yeah, everything sounds awesome. And yet, after about <laughs> a year, you came back to Omaha. Why? Yep. yep. I tell you what, man. Uh, it kind of goes back to the opportunity deal. I had uh, known that, you know, working 80 hours a week in a kitchen was not my permanent calling. Not to say that there isn't a huge amount of pride in that. And I respect guys that do that, um, that make a living. I support it. I think if that's what they do, so be it. But I, I wanted to do something different. You know, number one, I wanted to be a good father and and family man. That's beyond everything, you know, that that's what I want to do. And so, um, when I was down there, uh, a mutual friend of mine told me that this position that I currently have was opened up. A guy had been doing it for like eight years and they were like, they told me, hey, he got promoted or he took another job to uh, this protein specialist. And so I said, all right. I reached out to him and I said, you know, what's what's the deal here? And, you know, the reason for the move was the benefits package, the insurance, you know, all the investment opportunities that you get at a, at a Fortune 500 company, dude. It's, it's you, you just can't beat it. And so I knew that I needed an an end game to get back home. And what was that going to be? I knew that they were going to give me ownership, opportunity, everything I wanted down there, but my, my family wasn't there yet. I had done that for a long time without my family there with the ultimate goal of them coming in October, you know, give me 300 days, 10 months to get this set up and then come down and boom, we'll get it going. Well, right at that period, this happened. And, um, yeah, I called Lane Rosenberry, whose job it was. And, you know, I just said, Hey, I'm really interested in this. It's kind of been a career goal of mine to, to teach, to get to learn more, to travel more, to see more of what's out there. Um, and he just said, okay, here's all the things that you need to do to, uh, to get it done. Um, and getting corporate jobs is hard (laughs) if you don't have like a college degree or anything like that. Right. Um, yeah, you really got to prove that you're real about it. And then, you know, it's a sales position too. Uh, so, you know, when someone asks you, have you ever sold anything before? And you're like, nothing but myself and the food at the restaurant, you know, there's, there's nothing else you can really say, but, um, I pursued it, uh, vigorously. I knew that I wanted to do it. And I think the whole process probably took two or three months, but, um, eventually, uh, got offered the job, came up and started doing that. Now you just mentioned that your end game was always kind of to, have a more stable lifestyle for sure than, you know, working in a restaurant full time, because obviously that is an insane lifestyle. I give all the credit in the world to people who do it full time because I don't know how they do it. But all your experience to that point had been that lifestyle had been working in the kitchen. How tough was it? Even understanding the benefits that come from moving outside the kitchen, how was or how tough was it for you to actually make that move? Yeah. Well, let me start out by saying, I think that a lot of of young cooks, you know, get in their mind that the ultimate goal of working in a restaurant is to be an executive chef or is to own a restaurant. And, you know, that takes a long time. That probably takes 10 years to, to actually do. And, you know, I think you have that goal in mind the whole time. By the time you get there, sometimes you may realize that it might not be all that it's cracked up to be Mm -hmm. and that you may have other interests or that you may feel like you can be valuable elsewhere. And so 
I did have all that experience leading up to being able to walk into wherever I wanted and say, Hey, I want to be chef here. You know, let's, let's talk about it. Um, but I knew eventually that it was going to be important for me to seize opportunity like that when it came up and at least go for it, at least entertain the interview process. If I didn't do that, then I'd always be left thinking, well, what if, or what did I leave behind? Um, and so, yeah, I kind of got to the point where I was running a kitchen, being a chef, doing that. And not to say that my passion dies for doing that, but I, 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 I'll be honest, I lose interest doing the same thing over and over again for a year or two. Um, not to say that I don't enjoy that, but other things snag my interest. They grab me. You know, I want to learn about that. I want to see this and I want to go and do that. And so as much as leaving restaurants was a complete and total deviation away from any training that I had had uh, previous to that, I knew that if I really wanted to reach the goal of being who I am today and being getting on the way of where I want to go, that I needed to bite the bullet accept that it would be tough, accept that there's going to be two years of uncomfortability and just get good at it. Mm -hmm. Now it takes a very special person to, to live that restaurant life and really go through that restaurant grind. And you know, you did it for a long time. Obviously you have some of that in you. Is there even like, as you've acknowledged all the benefits of your current position now, is there any part of you that still kind of feels that longing and you kind of miss that, that drive of the kitchen? Oh yeah. And the number one thing is the camaraderie with, with your friends. Cause that's what they are when you're working with them. Um, you know, when you all show up at the same time in the day and you have your list and you crush it and you get going in service and you're getting good reviews, that's what, that's what it's all about. Um, uh, so I do miss that. Now I do get as much opportunity as I want to hop back in kitchens and, and bang around with folks. Um, you know, obviously with the pandemic, a lot of people were furloughed. I personally was furloughed for like four or five months. And I thought, you know, I might do nothing for this four or five months. Um, and of course that couldn't happen because I just, my phone started to ring. And so it was like the best five months of my career, honestly, because I was able to get back in kitchens and like work. I didn't have the corporate email. I am thankful for the corporate email now, just to be clear. I didn't have that then though. (laughs) I didn't have that then. And so I could wake up and it was like, boom, we're going to the restaurant today. We're making 250 to go package meals. You know, I worked with Jared Clark at Timber and Railcar, who I mean, dude, is is one of the best rest- restaurateurs in this region. Um, and uh, that was super joyful. I learned a ton of stuff I didn't know before. He runs a phenomenal uh, business group there, him and his partners. Um, and then John Benton and I, who John Benton's from Lincoln, Nebraska, but he's currently the chef at Champions Run Country Club. When I was done doing stuff with Jared, you know, I think he got some of his employees figured out. Uh, John called me. And we opened up the clubhouse at Stone Creek Golf Course, uh, food, employees, and training, and everything like that. And then after that was done, um, I went and worked at Champions Run Country Club, which is a beautiful place, incredible employees, awesome staff. Uh, the general manager there, Andy Reitz, is the salt-of-the-earth type guy. Uh, but I worked harder there than I've ever worked anywhere, for sure. At a country club, man, where there's – four or five events going on from 7 a.m. to 10 p.m., you get worked, man. But it was good because I knew eventually I'm coming back to Cisco uh, and I need to have some real-life experience. You know, as much as playing golf with the boys was, <laughs> you know, kitchen rust is real and I needed to come back, like, knowing my stuff. And, again, I just I got incredibly fortunate working for those guys. I mean, I think Jared's got a bachelor's degree in food science from UNL. And John Benton, uh, and I might get this wrong, but I believe he went to the New England Culinary Institute in Rhode Island, um, or the CIA. I can't recall. Either way, super awesome schools. But, you know, I work for those guys, and they're like my friends, but they're so phenomenally more intelligent than I am, than I am, that I could ask them, hey, like, what are we doing here? Why are we making this? Like, let's actually break it down. And so I just, I learned so much over those four or five months that when I finally got back, man, I was ready to go day one. You know, there was no, there was no warm up time for me. I was, I was ready to be impactful immediately. Did it almost kind of like re-spark that passion for you? Not that you'd lost it at all, but getting that reintroduction to the kitchen and kind of feeling that 
Oh yeah. That that rush again. That got oh, yeah. you going. Oh yeah, I lo- I love that dude. And, um, yeah, I like it a lot. Um, you know, at Champions we were quite busy, and you know you can go into a country club at nine a.m. and do a banquet event with a guy, and then he's done, and you go and work with another guy, and you're just doing it all day, and then you start prepping for a service and. Things like that. Um, and the cool thing about John is that he'll stand right next to you and bang with you. I will not miss a beat. And not to say that, you know, we do that in an unhealthy way, like we're working in an unhealthy way, but we work hard and that's what we like to do. Um, and yeah, I loved it. Get, get Going back and being able to work on the line and cooking a different menu, that whole challenge of, dude, I'm on like a station now, like what the hell am I doing again? You know, teaching yourself and figuring things out. Yeah, I, I absolutely love it. Now, I don't want to put anything, you know, in the minds of Cisco and (laughs) make them worry about you leaving or anything because you're clearly very happy. But just seeing the passion and the way you light up when you talk Mm -hmm. about restaurants is do you ever feel that like as much as you understand, hey, this is like this life is more stable for my family. You know, this is a very good job. I'm so happy here. Do you ever feel that pull to go back, like just watching you talk about it, I can I can see it in your eyes. There's something special about I it. I do, and you know, maybe once every two, three weeks, something like that, someone will call and, and say that same thing. You know, hey dude, I know you're here, but you know, would you consider sitting down and having a conversation about it? And I'm always open to that. Uh, I think it's, like I said, you, be, becoming a good professional is entertaining those opportunities and having professional conversations about it. Um, I think my value now to, you know, a restaurant group or to someone that owned a restaurant would, would maybe not be as the consultant that I am now. Uh, It would, it would partially be that role, but I I think being an intermediary uh, between food distributors, between purveyors and the business, um, like an arbitrator, that's, that's where my value would be. Um, Setting up a menu, making sure the costs are in line hiring staff and training them and set it and forget it. Uh, I personally, and this is going to sound really crazy, but it's the hot take of whatever winner. I personally think there's very little value to me standing in a kitchen um, and shaking pans and and cooking food in that regard. I I think, I think that I love that. I think it's incredible. Um, But I just think that I have a higher calling than that. I think I can be more effective and more valuable uh, in a larger business sense than, than that. Yeah, I don't think that's a hot take sure. at all. I think especially <laughs> given your breadth of experiences, you sure. have so much knowledge that you can help share with other people and yep. you're in a perfect role to advise and, and to do that. Yep. Um, we got to get into food TV here because cool. this is this is something that I'm really interested in. But before we do that, I want to give a shout out to Booker's because you, you, bought, <laughs> you brought in several bottles of this, of this Booker's whiskey mm-hmm. and it is absolutely delicious so smooth so awesome i'm i'm a huge fan i had not had it before today never oh my goodness no this is this is opening my eyes in a very positive variable museum selection of of bookers here today so bookers not sponsoring this podcast we are not getting paid (laughs) but i'm more than happy to encourage anyone if you want some quality whiskey this is this is good stuff i'm really enjoying it absolutely um okay so uh when you were working in Arizona, Liberty Street, American Tavern, and Smokehouse, you guys were featured on a Food Network show. It was called Eat, Sleep, Barbecue. Uh, Rashad Jones was yep. the host. And yep. I actually, I remember watching, like, he was on this reality show with Guy Fieri to yeah. to start his own show. And I remember watching yep. that in real time. As, as I was going through my research, I was like, oh, my gosh, he was on that show? So while the end of that show was airing, we were already working with with them really to to do that show exactly and that's kind of how that's uh, how fast things move. that's kind of how they roll that out yeah okay and because you know rashad won the won the show and i forget what the show is called but i know that there were two winners and so they decided to do two two six episode pilots mm-hmm. and i think the other dudes were like the grill dads or something mm-hmm. um and it may have been like the next food network star was guys big project guys big, was that's, the name of that's it? what it is and so the final episodes for that were airing, um, and we had already kind of known that we were going to be on the the new show that was going to come up. And the way that they do that is really crazy. And I don't know if anyone you know has been on Food Network or not, but it's sort of uh, kind of tournament based. And so, to my knowledge, we were we were in a group of like thirty Phoenix Scottsdale area restaurants that were potentially going to be selected for the show, and then. 
they reach out or they call and they say, hey, this is, you know, blah, 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 Food Network, and, you know, we're considering you for the show, and then you have to start submitting content. Recipes, you have to show your food cost sheets, your uh, your uh, techniques and, and recipe books and cards. You have to legitimize your restaurant to them because they don't want to show up from L.A. to this place and be like, dude, what is this? And so then, yeah, filming little one or two minute things about, hey, this is Chef Dan. Here's this dish. This is what I'm doing today. And so then every like week or two weeks, they'd kind of call back and be like, hey, you know, you're we're, we're going to need more information. So we knew that we were making it further and further along into the selection process of the show. Um, little did we know, uh, you know, that our Phoenix episode didn't air with the other people from Phoenix. We were oh, kind of there on a different, we were there on like a different barbecue episode uh, with two guys. So it was, <laughs> it was me and then two other guys, Brian Furman from Crackland Bees in Atlanta, Georgia. And just that year, he won Best Chef Southeast for the James Beard Award. <laughs> and then Sam Jones from Sam Jones Barbecue, who has also won a Beard Award previously to that, was were the three people on the show. So it was like, I'm sure I just looked like some scrub on it. Like, who the hell is this guy? <laughs> but um, no, yeah. So then finally they were like, hey, this is what we're going to do. We're going to bring the crew in. You know, you got to kind of shut the restaurant down, notify guests of this and it's a very structured thing. You know, day one, you come in and just do, uh, you know, the filming of the food, of cooking, of prepping, and you've got like four speed racks of all the same prep on it because you're going to run through all of it on like a B-side or A-side, whatever the hell they call that, and you just do the voice and they ask the questions and then they come in the next day and then you're actually um, in front of them doing like the live talking with Rashad, the interviewer, going back and forth, and um, they're really efficient at it. They You cannot waste any time when you're doing that stuff. And I specifically was super nervous. And so I can say this now because it's years later. <clears throat> but so the night before, there was a bar like four blocks from my house, and it was called the Blues Bar. And it was like that was the place that I went to after work. Like if I got out, whatever time it may have been, and this place was crazy, like – Tuesday nights, and I only realized this because I was there one Tuesday night, the whole place shuts down and turns into, like, a, a black metal bar. So there's a bunch of, like, older folks dressed up like Nikki Six and whatnot, and Chef Dan in the corner, you know, sipping on some tequila. But <laughs> um, So I go to this joint, and I'm at the blues bar, and I'm like, you know, sweet, I'm, I'm going to have a few cocktails, chill out, I'm going to think about what I'm going to say tomorrow and how this is all set up. Well, the owner of the bar was just like super flaky. So she goes, hey guys, I'm going to leave. I'm going to go to the gas station really quick. And I'm, yeah, I'm going to lock the door. You'll be okay. Dude, there was maybe four or five people in here. I'm like, nah, no big deal. And you know, the responsibility is that you kind of run your own tab and you're, you're responsible. Well, either way, like, I don't know, five hours go by and the lady's not back yet. It's like two, three in the morning. Oh my gosh. Yeah. And uh, I had some cocktails, you know. And so she gets back, I, I, you know, close my tab out, I go home, and uh, I got to be back there at like 7.30 or 8 o'clock in the morning. And uh, I don't know, if, just go back and watch the episode, because we're a little white in the face early on in the morning, <laughs> early on in the morning there, we kind of had to hustle, and, and then I had, I had a bunch of like logo stuff on that they were like, hey, you can't wear any of that. So I had to like start doing cooking stuff and I had to have the sous chef run to like Walmart and grab all of this like non-logo gear for me to wear. And so it was kind of crazy. But once we got to filming, um, it was super cool. Uh, obviously it strokes your ego quite a bit cause it's like all about you and the restaurant, but there are moments of like serious pride when you're doing that. We had a restaurant full of people and you know, the, the food networks running around with producers and stuff and there's, you know, entertainers around and it's really cool. I just remember Mr. Keeler, Paul, uh, kind of sit back and I don't know, just look super proud about the whole thing. So it was a really phenomenal experience. And I know that, um, I, I believe they still air those episodes down there at the restaurant and, and they're still doing stuff like that. So I think, uh, it's really good for them. Er, back to your question earlier, you know, what, what kind of uh, prompted the, the popularity and, and the sales specifically, once we were on the Food Network, dude, it was lights out. And they'll tell you, expect a 2 to 300% increase in your business once the episode airs. So, I mean, we were doing, I mean, dude, we were doing almost $300,000 in sales. Holy cow. 
yeah and our 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 menu prices weren't outrageous and then that happened and it's like I, where are the people going to fit you know opening our patio areas and getting everything going um and so yeah it was it was a it was a crazy experience now i kind of as many positive things as you just mentioned about that experience i kind of want to look at the other side of it sure. because i'm someone who especially before i started really diving into kitchen life and doing this podcast and hearing stories about what it's you know really like back there sure you know you watch these food network shows i was a huge consumer of these shows and and hey here's the host they parachute in for you know a couple <laughs> days and you're in this pristine kitchen and you're like sure. slowly crafting one dish and then they bite into it and then they just rave about it for 30 seconds and then they move on yeah but that's not at all what life in the kitchen is like it is sure. hustle it is bustle it is crazy yep. there are long hours you're usually not getting to see the satisfaction of guests maybe you are if you're lucky yeah. do you think that i mean i'm not trying to say anything bad about those type of shows because obviously they generate a lot of business for restaurants but yeah. do you think shows like that maybe kind of create a slanted view of the industry and maybe lead to some misunderstandings between what happens in the kitchen and what the guest thinks is happening? I do. I do. I think, I think sometimes the way that kitchens and chefs are portrayed, um, in the public eye, whether that be in media or, you know, anything like that at times, and this, and this trend is changing, but I think at times it's, it provokes a sense of it's okay to kind of be a little crazy. It's okay to, let's be honest, abuse drugs and alcohol heavily, right? Um, mm -hmm. And I think, you know, when I was younger, I, that was a little bit more so that way, where you kind of look at those crazy edgy guys and you want to take a couple of pages out of their book and do that. That's a hard life, dude. You know, you can you can party, you can you can be up every night doing that stuff, but uh, the mornings are rough, beats your body up a lot. I mean, it takes a lot of, a lot of years off you, you know, and I don't know the solution to that with those shows showing the perfect world of everything. Um, you know, I think the people in the industry watch those shows and, and they take what they see with, you know, a little, a little salt, you know, they, they look at that and it's like, well, that's, that's not exactly the way that it is. Um, but I don't know what the solution to that is. I do know one thing. You know, kind of the producer behind a lot of that stuff is Guy Fieri. And, uh, you know, I think he's done a ton for doing those restaurants. I mean, what is he up to? $20 million, $50 million that he's given away? Something mm -hmm. crazy like that? Yeah, he's been essential during the pandemic, Dude, nuts, especially. nuts. That's such a massive amount of money. And so, you know, even though the shows might not portray that, I, I do know that there are guys out there that 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 support the kitchen life in other ways. You know, whether it's substance abuse programs that they donate to or charitable time or whatever that may be. I think those are just going to be more, more and more important in the future as kitchen labor becomes more valuable. I mean, you know, you can hire a guy for 20 bucks an hour, but what's he doing when he goes home? How are you making sure that he's supported or has gas in his car? How are you making sure that, you know, what, what's going on with his day before he gets to work, you know, before you bring him into work and work his ass out. Right. Mm -hmm. <laughs> you, Hey, you're giving me everything you got today. Right. And, uh, I don't know, man. I, that's, that's a tough thing to, to talk about. I, I don't know what the direction of that is in the future, or how that's going to go. I think a lot of younger chefs like me are, are defining that now, you know, setting their limits of what is reasonable and what is not, but I don't know, man, it's, uh, it's a different situation for sure. Uh, I'd like to see more of those shows um, come out and just support that outright. Support, you know, get that message of supporting your local restaurants, support your people. You know, here, here are foundations you can donate to that, you know, help people get insurance on the private market. I mean, you know, like where are, where are the, the small support groups? They just don't exist. You know, there's, there's not like this chef's union of people, this cook's union locally you know, where people get support. So I don't know. It's, it's a different situation. Yeah. I, I think it's just, it's so interesting because I think the, the public's view about the industry is just so vastly different than what the real life is like. It's, yeah. it's tough to know how to bridge that gap yeah. without, you know, 
giving too much information or bringing too much of the negativity or anything into it. I'm not, I'm not sure exactly what that looks like. Like you said, like, I think obviously, you know, I'm a huge fan of diners, drive-ins and dives. Like yeah. as much as I can understand that that show does not accurately depict, you know, everyday yeah. restaurant life. I understand the value that it has and what it can do for restaurants. So I let's say this, I guarantee that that dude, those, those hosts aren't always excited every time they go into a restaurant. Yes. They always look like it's the greatest day they've ever had. And it's like, come on, bro. You know, you know, one, you know, one out of 20 of those is just like, man, we got to get out of here. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, so as we wind down here, we're kind of we're kind of up against the clock, but I need to ask you. You've you've done a very good job of pulling back the curtain on what this experience was like for you of being on the show and kind of giving us the behind the scenes of how it all works. But maybe can you just tell me like what's one other thing about food TV that you learned from this experience that you kind of wish more people knew or you think it's important that they understand? Uh and this has nothing to do with being on TV specifically. I mean, it does, but you, you have to carry yourself with the confidence that you know what you're doing. And there are type B personality introverts that go about their lives in a little bit more closed way and more quiet way. Uh, but you got to be open. You have to communicate. You have to collaborate and talk, right? If, if I didn't have like a personality, like we wouldn't have done that show, you know? Um, and only because I was willing to be open and say fun things and participate was that part of that show a success. And I would even go as far to say that's important in your normal kitchen life. You have to carry yourself with some kind of confidence, right? Chefs aren't looking at, at dudes that are quiet all day that keep to themselves and like don't execute bust and bust their ass really hard. They're not looking at those guys like, man, I'm super thankful this guy's here. Walk around the kitchen with some confidence, knowing what you're doing, communicate with your team, and, and be a human that day. Um, and, you know, there's a lot of time that you got to fake it till you make it. And a couple of my buddies are going to laugh that I say this on, on the show, but uh, like every job I've ever gotten, I wasn't qualified for, flat out. But I knew I was confident enough that as long as I focused and worked hard and communicated and treated, you know, everyone around me as working with me and not for me, then like we would be successful and I would get there. Right. So, yeah. So last thing before we get you out of here, when you, when you talk about if, if somebody's trying to break into the industry and they don't want to, or maybe they don't have the means to go to culinary school, they didn't have sure. that plan. You obviously didn't take that route. How do you fake it till you make it? Like what's, <laughs> what's one tip that you could give to someone to help them find that road to success that you've clearly found? Work on your basics, work on your skills. If you know how to cut, you know, if you know how to work a pan, if you're not afraid to heat, if you're comfortable in the area, you can learn anything and anybody can learn anything. Um, you know, this year I'm taking on like kind of a challenge for myself. I don't have the degree, but in order to be a certified executive chef, in order to get your CEC certification through the ACF, you have to have a two or four year degree or, or something. Um, and I don't have that. So I reached out to the ACF and I said, what can I do here? And they said, well, you, you, you can do 150 hours of continuing education, which is like go out and find the programs, find the plans, 150 hours. I found 90 for free. The other 60 I'm going to have to pay for and figure that out. Um, but the CEC test, right? You go and you learn all of this crazy stuff. You go and you, you meet people and you gain experience. The CEC test is about basics, knife skills chicken butchery? Can you cut a lobster up? Can you do this? Can you do that? Can you execute four cooking techniques? And so if you want to get into the industry, there's nothing more than that you need to have that, that I don't have, right? As a young person, accept passion, right? Be motivated and study your basics and go and work for someone that's going to allow you the time to learn that and are going to be incentivized with you to, to learn that, to teach you that. As soon as you start learning that, then you can start to teach yourself other things, right? That's that's what I would recommend. Well, I definitely don't have anything as intelligent or inspirational <laughs> as that to say to end on, so I'm just <laughs> going to let that be the ending. Dan Watts, thank you so much for your time today. This was seriously so fascinating, man. I, I really appreciate you coming in like... You know, I, I'm, I make jokes about you bringing in the whiskey. That was awesome. <laughs> but I enjoyed the conversation even more. This was 
a true pleasure for me. Thank you so much. Absolutely. Thank you so much. Uh, it's a huge privilege and honor for me to get to do things like this and talk about what I do and the company I work for and all the people that I used to work for and the restaurants that I used to work at who are still my friends. So anyone that's listening to this, please, you know, it's a message for me. You might not have a lot of money to take some of the stimulus coming up. Go spend it at your restaurants. Go tip your people, right? You just don't, you don't have to tip front of the house only, right? You can, you can split that tip for the back of the house to respect those guys. They're working super hard. You know, a lot of them are fighting for, for what they got for everything. So get out there and support those guys. So wait, on that note, yes. how can people separate that? Because I think when, when most people leave a tip, they just, <laughs> they, they just tip and that goes to the front of the house. Even if you're just doing it takeout or if you're dining in, whatever, how, how do they support the people in the back of the house? Go to the ATM and take 40 bucks out and walk to the kitchen and hand it to them. Fair <laughs> enough. Uh, no, you know, you could tell your server, hey, you know, I'm, I'm leaving some tip. This is yours, but I'm leaving an extra 10 bucks for the kitchen. Make sure it gets to him, you know. Awesome. Or do it with the general manager. But, uh, you know, those dudes love cash, too. That's gas in their car. You know, a new pair of kitchen shoes is 40 bucks. If you're buying a pair of cheap ones, that could last a guy a year. It goes a long way. Well, that is, that's fantastic knowledge. That's something that I've honestly not thought about doing i usually try and tip very well but i didn't sure. really you know think about that so thank you for bringing that to my attention i'm definitely going to take that into account moving forward dan thank you for your time omaha as always thank you for eating with us a hood at media production